So we are starting a new series that I'm very excited about called Words. I didn't really have anything other like to call it other than words because I didn't feel very creative this week. Um, but uh, basically what we're talking about is this idea that our words, as you can imagine, probably the biggest trouble you've ever been in your life had to do with something that had to do with words. If you get on the news um, anytime this week, you will see people getting in trouble for their words. Maybe they're getting in trouble for their lack of words. They didn't say something they were supposed to say. We've all had this situation with us as well. Well, the good news is, is that the Bible has a lot to say about what comes out of our mouth. When I was a little kid, I had an uncle. His name was Uncle Chick, okay? He was the, as a 10-year-old boy, Uncle Chick was the coolest uncle you could have. First of all, he lived in Alaska, okay? And so uh, he was in the military. I think he had to go into the military. Anywho, uh, so he was in the military, uh, stationed in Alaska, so that made him cool. And then when he got out of the military, he moved by our house, and um, he played the drums, Okay, so he was cool. He had long hair, which back in the day, you weren't, that wasn't, you're not supposed to have long hair as a man, and he did, and it was so, his hair was so cool. And then, um, and then in his basement, he had a pond, like, like on purpose. Okay, it wasn't just that his basement was flooded, it was a pond, and it had all sorts of different exotic animals in it. And he told me one time, he said, Johnny, because people in my family call me Johnny, people in my family call me Johnny, and so he says, Johnny, I need a catfish. I need a catfish for my pond. And so I, I was 10, and I lived in New Jersey, and we lived kind of like in the woods. And so I could go to a stream. I could go to a lake. I could pretty much do whatever I wanted, uh, which is why I became a pastor, I guess. I don't know. And so uh, he says, can you get me a catfish? So I went fishing, and I had my bucket. And he told me before I left, now, this is the thing about catfish, they, uh, they're a they're electrified. And if they grab onto your finger, they won't let go because the electricity will discharge out of their body into your body and you won't be able to get the... You guys are scientists too. You know this. Okay. So I thought he was serious because he's Uncle Chick and he's amazing. And so I went and I caught a catfish. I was super careful not to have it electrocute me. And I brought it to him and I was super stoked. And he showed me his the crown jewel in his basement. It's a giant snake. A giant snake. He, he was a carpenter, and he put it into this really huge aquarium into the wall. And I would go, and I'd look at the snake. Well, one day, uh, th see, the thing about snakes that's really important is they need to be contained, okay? So one day, he left the door open by accident when he was feeding the rat, uh, the thing rats or rabbits or cats or some nondescript animal. Um, and so he left it open and it got out and he had a little, uh, my cousin, Kieran, a little baby girl uh, who was down in the basement and the snake got out and bit her, right? So I f I'm freaking out when I hear this story because number one, I'm like super scared of snakes. And so I told my dad, I said, Dad, uh, the snake bit, Uncle Chick's snake bit Karen. And I'll never forget his response. He says, yeah. I'm like, don't you care about Karen? I mean, you're, 
It was her, his niece, right? No, no. That's what snakes do. When they're out, left to their own devices, they bite people. And so you and I all know that. As a matter of fact, you can't see each other's face, and I can't see your face online. But when I say they left the door open, all of you had the same face. Like, is it out here in the sanctuary, or is it, was this the thing? No. Anyway, Kieran turned out fine. PETA, the snake turned out fine. Everybody's fine, okay? It all turned out fine. But that's what they do. And so when I was little, and I heard that from my dad, I kind of adopted that thing, that wild animals attack people. And now there's like shows about it. You know, when wild animals attack is what they're called. I'm not going to lie. I love those shows. I love stories about wild animals attacking. Why? Because that's what they do. They're acting in their nature. There was a lion, or a tiger, I'm sorry, uh, that some young men, uh, I don't know why young men uh, do stuff like this, but uh, they were throwing pine cones at the tiger in, it, in its habitat in the zoo. Maybe you remember this story. Little pine cones and sticks. <laughs> this is so amazing. The tiger gets out and hunts them down. So imagine, imagine a zoo where everybody's running because the lion got out because it was ticked and jumped over the wall. Who knows that they could jump 12 feet high? Apparently these guys do. Uh, and so the, lion get, the tiger gets out and finds those dudes throwing the pine cones at them and mauls them. That, again, they're fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. No, I'm not going to tell you a story where somebody died until this one. So, uh, so they're, they're all fine. But do you remember the story where the guy was videotaping the bears? Do you remember that story? He's videotaping the bears. He's doing this documentary. He's named all the bears. He has names for all the bears. Matter of fact, he knows these bears. And he knew, he knew the one that mauled him to death. He knew it. And yet, there he is. What I'm hoping to show us in the next six weeks is that you have a wild animal that you carry everywhere you go. And if it's not caged, it does a lot of damage. And it's your words. And just to be clear as we start this series off, when I mean words, I'm not just talking about the spoken word. I'm talking about what you tweet I'm talking about how you respond in your posts on social media and what you consume, the words you consume, because we all know this. We've known this from since we were very little. You are what you consume. And the words you consume become a part of who you are. And so I'm hoping at the end of the six weeks that you not only have a respect for your mouth, for your words, for your fingers that you type, for your thumbs where you text, that you actually have a fear of it. Because the Bible teaches you to actually have a fear of your mouth. Because the Bible knows the damage that it can do. So we're going to get into Matthew this morning. We're going to set everything up, kind of tee it all up for the series. I hope that you're here for all, whether you're here in person or online. I hope you're here for all six of them because there's some really good things. And we're going to talk about not only the bad things that can happen with your words, because a lot of bad things can happen, but there's also some incredibly great healing shalom 
kind of life-giving things you can do with your words. And the great thing about this animal, this thing that needs to be tamed, your mouth, is that everybody has maybe not the same voice, but they have the same tool. And so we're, our job is to make sure that we accurately know the damage that our mouth can do and also the great life and restorative work that our mouths can do, okay? So here's what happens. Jesus is out and about. We're in the book of Matthew. And by the way, oh, just so you know, um, I haven't gotten the first Wednesday yet, but in a few weeks, we're going to start an entire church Bible reading program where you get a daily group of uh, scriptures to read. And then um, we'll meet back here at, uh, on Wednesday nights, and all we're doing is discussing the Word. There won't be a band, there won't be any, it just we're coming back, and we're just spending the time talking about the Word of God. And the first book we're going through is Matthew, so you're getting some cheat, cheat notes right here. But Jesus is going along, he's been healing people, everybody knows Jesus is legit, and the Pharisees is driving him crazy. So one of the great things about social media and the great thing about Twitter and all those things is you can kind of see in our current context with social media what it must have been like for those Pharisees. So Jesus was getting far more retweets, right, than the Pharisees. Jesus' posts were going viral. Jesus was all, Jesus had more, more likes, more views, more followers, right, than the, than the Pharisees had. So all they knew how to do was use their words to attack Jesus. Now, later, their words actually played out to be an execution, which can happen with our words left unchecked. But for now, what has happened is they've just noticed he's getting a lot of press. People are following him. And so they come to him with what, you, uh, what they called a challenge and repost. And these rabbis would do it because the rabbis represented different schools of thought. Again, CNN, Fox News, whatever, pick your, your gatekeepers, your schools of thought. That's who they represented. And they would like these sparring so that they could see how their rabbi was doing. Uh, spoiler alert, Jesus wins all those. But anyway, they come, and they, they come to Jesus and they do this challenge and repost. And you have to understand, when a Pharisee comes with a challenge, they've talked it over with other Pharisees. They think this is rock solid. So they get Jesus actually on a pretty good one, okay? So here's what happens. Matthew chapter 15. Why do your disciples break tradition of the uh, elders? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? Now, you and I would say, yeah, exactly. Way to go, Pharisees. Thank you. Uh, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. I know that. I've known that forever. I've been a germaphobe long before COVID. I was so pre-germaphobe. I, I would have masked everybody just because I don't like people. But, <laughs> like, they're not talking about that. They're not talking about health. This is a ceremonial washing. And what they believed is if you took anything unclean and it touched you, especially when inside of your mouth, or maybe your hands touched something unclean, and that could just be somebody who thinks different than you. It could have just been a Samaritan or some pagan or whatever. They decide is unclean if you touch that person. You didn't socially distance from them in the right way. You became unclean. And so they would do these ceremonial washings just in case they touched anything unclean and then touched their food and that went into their mouth, they would be unclean. 
okay? Started out as a great idea, turned out to be horrible. They don't wash their hands before they eat. And he, Jesus replied, here's the repost to the challenge. Jesus d d does this a lot where he answers their question with a question. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Of course, they weren't expecting this. They wanted him to answer the question why they don't wash their hands. But Jesus is taking this macro view. And he says, he goes to this honoring your father and mother. For God said, it's actually one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. To which they'd go, well, I haven't cursed my father and mother, so everything's fine. Jesus is like, you're missing the big picture. He says, you say that if anyone declares what he might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, air quotes Jesus is using, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. So what would happen is this. Let's say my folks are struggling. You know, they raised me. They, they you know, worked their fingers to the bone to, like, get me to be an adult. I finally become an adult. I have my own stuff, and they run into problems. And I go, man, I would help you, but everything I have is devoted to God. Now, I can use it. It's my jet ski, right? I can use it, but when I die, it, goes, it gets to be given to God. And they had loopholes for getting out of all this stuff. He says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied. These people honor me with their lips, Ooh, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then he does something that's really crazy. He calls the crowd. So instead of just this being a challenge and repost between these two rabbinical schools, he brings everybody in, right? Now it's, now it's on. He called the crowd to them. And he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. That's what defiles them. The disciples came to him and asked, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus is like, wait till Twitter comes out. You think they're offended now, right? He says, don't you know they were offended? Yeah, they were offended. But Jesus isn't concerned about that. As a matter of fact, please hear me in this. Jesus' point was not to win over the Pharisees. It wasn't to win a battle. That's the difference between Jesus and some of us with our, our worldviews or our competing views on how government's supposed to go. Or, it's never just, hey, this I think is the best route. It's always, it has to be at the destruction of the other side. Jesus isn't doing any of that. He doesn't care. He's trying to get across this idea. Listen, if you're worried about being holy, if you're worried about being clean, if you're worried about all this stuff, watch your mouth. Watch what he says. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up from the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. In other words, forget about that. We've touched on something way more important than being right. 
We don't have to be, I don't need to be right so that people join my rabbinical school. It's a school of 12. That's how many seats we have right now, and you just don't worry about it. What he's interested in is our personal holiness. He does not care about what the Pharisees are saying or doing. He cares about what his disciples are doing. In the same way, I believe that Jesus cares less about what we care about in these different camps and cares more about why do we use the words we use? Peter says, explain the parable to us. Which, to Peter's defense, you have to understand that he is so wrapped in his tradition and in just how he was raised, his family of origin, and the structures that were in place, to you and I, you're like, well, duh, we know what the parable is. You, you know, what comes out of your mouth? If you say words that are, that's what defiles you. But Peter wouldn't have gotten that. Cleanliness laws were deeply embedded into the culture at the time. So for Jesus to go, yeah, those don't matter as much, Peter's like, you... Before we go on your thing, we need to understand what do you mean by this? Because this is a really big deal. So he says, explain the parable to us. Jesus, I don't know, maybe he had a long day. Are you still so dull? He asked. Which, don't, don't start off your sentence. Only Jesus can say that. You're not supposed to start your conversations with that. You know, honey, where's the mustard? Are you still so dull? Okay, no. That happens all the time at my house. Okay, Jesus asked him, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? I'm not going to explain the physiology of it. Hopefully you all understand how that works. Listen to this. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. They come from the heart. You ever... Um, done this. I've, I've done it many times. Wow, I can't believe I said that. You ever do that? Am I the only, I'm the only one. Great. Okay, you're all holy. You come up and teach me. I, 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 I don't know why I said that. That's one. Uh, here's another one. I, I didn't mean it that way, right? Which works every time. <clears throat> and so I didn't mean it that way. Oh, here's a good one. I love this one. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. You ever do that? You ever do that when you weren't just kidding, but then you saw the reaction, you're like, I was just kidding, right? But you weren't kidding, but you just say that to him. Here's the problem. Words aren't weighted the same. And you all know this. Words aren't weighted the same. If I come up to you and I say, you're fat, okay? And then I say, I'm sorry, I assign two words to each sentence. Do they have the same weight? No. Do you know how many times you have to say you're sorry to equal one, you're fat? I don't know what the answer is, but I'm, it's still a long ways away if you started when you were a little kid. It's hard because those wounds, those words hit on a heart that is damaged. See, when my, when my brokenness comes in contact with your brokenness, it creates a wound that we can't heal. If I say something to you and it wounds you because of something I might not even know of, 
It's hard for me to generate enough words to bring enough healing. Have you ever experienced that? I know I have. Basically, what's happening there when you say, I didn't mean to say that, or I don't know why I responded that way, is your heart has just been exposed. Have you ever had this happen? You're, you're, watch, you're watching something online, or, and, and, and you find yourself just getting annoyed, okay? Now, again, not in America we wouldn't do this because we're perfect, but imagine you're in a country where there's just a lot of just anger and outrage and it's going crazy and all of a sudden you found yourself swept up in it and then somebody out of the blue having nothing to do with any of that comes up and asks you a question and you go I'm busy you ever do that your heart was just revealed that's all don't tell them that oh that's all my heart was just don't it doesn't work that way your heart was just revealed to you the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. This is why you can only hide it for so long, but it escapes because it's part of who we are. And it's these that defile them. Jesus uh, says it in Luke a different way, but the whole point of it is this. In order to control your tongue, we're going to be going on over this in the weeks to come. In order to control your tongue, you must control your heart. You say, well, how do I control my heart? Like, how do I? We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about a heart filled with compassion brings so much words of compassion. A heart that is filled with peace brings so much peace. A heart that is filled with joy brings so much joy. But a heart that's filled with outrage brings outrage. A heart that's filled with fear about uncertainty, about what's going to happen, spits out fear. And you can go, and unfortunately, we've monetized it in America. We've monetized fear and outrage and, and putting each other down. That's all been monetized. There's systems of it all embedded. But we're not called to be part of a system. Those are rules of men. Jesus says, that's not what we're all about. It's not, those are just rules. What you say reveals your heart. Luke said it, wrote down the words this way, same topic Jesus is talking about, but it's still Jesus. For out of the overflow of his heart or her heart, the mouth speaks. It goes the other way too. You have people, um, you know, certain personalities rub people the wrong way. The, one of the personalities that has always rubbed me the wrong way is the person that says, oh, I just say what's on my mind. Okay, okay. Actually, you don't just what say you don't say what's on your mind. You say what's in your heart. Like this is what you truly believe. Out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. So if I look back at my tweets, if I look back at how I've responded to people, do I look back, listen, to the private conversations I have with people that maybe nobody else knows about? It's a revelation of where my heart is at. So the things that come out of a, uh, a person's mouth come from the heart. It is these that defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's what comes out of your heart. And it's funny because, you know, 
you read a list like this and you go, well, I've never murdered, never committed adultery. You know, you just go kind of go down the same, never stolen anything, whatever. But Jesus already covered this when he says, you heard it said, don't commit murder. I say, don't even say something bad about your neighbor. Like he goes straight to the heart, right out, out of the mouth. You say, I didn't kill anyone, but if you call him raka or fool, you fool, it's just as though you murdered him. If you're talking in an objective way about a member of the opposite sex or an, you objectify those people, you're committing sexual immorality. If you're, those jokes, those things like that. But it's just revealing what's in your heart that's coming out. In order to control your tongue, you must control your heart. These are what defile a person, not eating with unwashed hands. That doesn't defile people. Your mouth does. Now, um, we're going to switch from here because Jesus lived with somebody who wrote a part of the Bible. So this person who wrote this got to see Jesus every day since the time Jesus was a little kid all the way to where he was uh, crucified, buried, and rose again. And this guy not only lived with Jesus, but believed he was the Messiah. It was Jesus' half-brother. Okay, different dad, same mom, okay? Blended family. Jesus was in a blended family. I don't know if you knew that, right? And so his, his brother James, his half-brother James, spent his whole life watching Jesus. And then goes, I got to write some of this stuff down. Now, again, we've gone through James a few times here. Just so you know, I think James had ADD, which is probably why I like him. But he, if you read the book of James, it's so practical, but it is all over the map. He talks about your mouth in chapter 1, in chapter 2, and in chapter 3. And it would be nice if he just put them all into one thing, but he did not. And so we're going to look at it the way James did. But think about this. These are the conclusions James has come to having not only followed Jesus, but lived with Jesus. These are his observations based on Jesus' life, his teachings. Basically, Jesus' half-brother believed he was the Messiah. And if you can convince your brother that you're the Messiah, you're probably the Messiah. Because your brother, if you have a brother or sister or sibling or whatever, they don't, they're not up with that whole thing. All right. Here's what James writes. The tongue also is a fire. You think about that. I have a fire every morning uh, in my front yard. I have a little fire pit. That's where I pray. That's where I like to be first thing in the morning before anyone wakes up. I'm always cognizant, even though I've had a fire every morning in that thing for years. Not every morning, but most mornings. I still understand when I light that thing, because I've got lights hanging over, that flame can only get that high. If it gets this high, it's a shower of sparks and electricity, and uh, I end up in the hospital. James is saying this, that's your mouth. Like, when you walk out and you're in a group of people, you have a flamethrower, James says. He goes on, he says, a world of evil among the parts of the body. This is how he's describing your mouth. Think about that. Wow. The tongue also is a fire. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. 
You ever have that happen? You ever say something? You know, this happens with little kids. They say something disrespectful to their parents. Their whole body goes into a timeout, not just their mouth. You, you talk to your boss a certain way tomorrow when you go to work or in a Zoom meeting or whatever. Your whole body gets fired, not just your mouth. It'd be nice, but that's the way it works. It corrupts the whole body. Sometimes your mouth gets you into actual prison. Sometimes your mouth gets you in what we would call the doghouse. Sometimes your mouth gets you into where you get a timeout or whatever. But we receive the consequences of our mouth in our whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. This is such strong language. Okay, but he makes it stronger. And is itself set on fire by hell. You say, John, I'm a Christian. My mouth is not set on fire by hell. No, but hell can use your mouth to do lots of destruction. Even in saying the quote-unquote right thing. Did you know you can do more damage, right, and not say any cuss words? You can do like legit serious damage with your mouth and have a pure mouth. You know what I'm talking about? You can do lots of damage and not use four-letter words. And yeah, under whatever the Christian litmus test is, you're okay, Maybe you proceed it with, hey, we really need to be praying about this. And then you just unleash just damage. Or you start with, you know, I know the Lord wouldn't be happy with, and then you just spit out your gossip and all this stuff. Not you. I'm talking about generic you. You guys would never do that. And itself is set on fire by hell. And hell isn't a location in this particular case. What he's saying is, just know that the culture, the hellish culture, basically, which is just words, Satan is the father of lies. It says when Satan speaks, he speaks lies. It's his native tongue. He's the great deceiver. He's the great accuser. All those are all words-based. And he can take your words and light them on fire because the person receiving them, you don't know what's in their heart. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Now, if your tongue, you might be looking at me saying, well, if I can't tame it and it's evil, what's the use to even try? Well, I would suggest to you that you do not try to tame your tongue. You try to figure out what's going on in your heart because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus is much more interested in our hearts than just not cussing. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. There was a guy in 2002, uh, a, a lion trainer. I told you I like these stories. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Can't help it. Uh, He's a lion tamer, and uh, so he's become friends with these liars, uh, lions, liars. <laughs> Never trusted lions, always lying. 
So he's with this lion, you know, whatever. It's his best friend, everything. And then uh, he, and he had some precautions that it was in a cage. But the thing about cages that's super important is which side of the cage you're on, right? So if you go inside the cage, it doesn't do you any good. Well, that's what he did. And he was feeding it or whatever. And it grabbed his arm and removed it. And... Uh, and his he punctured a hole. He lived, just so you're, the lion was fine. Um, oh, and the guy ended up living. But it punctured his throat, and, it, and then one of the claws took his eye out, okay? I know, it's, it's ter terrible, right? Could we see that in the following weeks, that we have with us this lion on a short leash, and if we let go for one second, we can do a lot of damage. As a matter of fact, as I talk to you guys, you can probably think of some things that some people said, maybe in your formative years between four and like 13. And maybe it was just a passing statement. I had a teacher one time. <laughs> I was moving from New Jersey to California. We went from having money to being poor, right? So that was the, that was the trade-off. So while I was in New Jersey, a teacher said, because uh, in that day they had phones on the walls, okay? So kids, we used to have these things called phones, and they were on the wall, and they had a cord, okay? And so she was talking to another teacher, and I could hear her around the corner, and she said, I am so glad that Rittenhouse boy is leaving, right? So I remembered that. I can still remember it now, right? Mrs. Rose no, I, I'm just kidding. No, she's since passed. Uh, she was, had this lion. And so, no, she didn't. So, uh, so she said, I wish this written house boy. I don't blame her. I would have wanted me gone too. Okay? But the way it hit me as a little kid at that particular time in my life when there was so much chaos in my life, it hit pretty hard, right? Now, if you were to say to me, hey, we're so glad that Rittenhouse boy is gone, I would laugh. But at that time, because my heart was in that shape and in that way, it did a lot of damage. And I had teachers do some really great restorative work in that. He says, with the tongue, we praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. You guys did a great job. We were all singing this morning, which was wonderful. And with it, we curse human beings. We take the same mouth. Consume me from the inside. You've got to be kidding me, right? Same mouth, words. Ah, what happened? Your heart was revealed. No, but my heart really loves Jesus. Okay, let's keep that part and let's work on the other part. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Even Democrats? Yeah, even Democrats. Republicans? That's impossible. Nope, even Republicans. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. We sing praises in the morning on Sunday morning. We love Jesus, and then we get to our computers. James just says it flat out. Brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be. And so over the coming weeks, as the praise team returns, we're going to be going over this. How do we watch our heart? 
How do we trade? We're going to learn how to trade words of fire and discouragement and anger into words of blessing, words restorative. Uh, my prayer is that this transforms all our relationships, not just with those of us here, but with the extended people that we go where we take actual, the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouth of Jesus and we show up into our next meeting, into our next lecture, into our next thing, to our next family gathering. And we say, oh, I've got this lion. I got to keep it at bay. I got to keep it at bay. I want to end with one verse that we're going to look at many times this week. So easy to memorize. And we'll go over. You'll have it memorized by the time we get done with this. Set a guard over my mouth. Who? Lord. In other words, the good and bad news is it's not our standards that we're doing. It's his. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Lord Jesus, ah, this is so hard. It's so hard to watch our mouth. We become masters at disguising attack. We use passive aggressiveness. We use phrases like, I was just kidding, or no offense. And I don't mean any disrespect, but God, would you just begin today, begin to show us what's in our heart? Why are we so scared? Why are we so angry? Why do we feel like we need to respond in that way? Lord, as we end with this final song before the blessing, I pray you'd bring to mind Maybe some relationships where we do have to go back and use words to bring healing and restoration. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and now, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his love, in his peace, and in his joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.